an ironic media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. Hey, y'all, I'm Bevan. And I'm Brittany. Welcome to Be My Neighbor. Our neighborly duties are to provide real-life solutions and practices that elevate and inspire, but also remind us to not take it all too seriously. We're real-life neighbors that quickly learn that you simply cannot do it on your own, living in a competitive and fast-paced environment like New York City. Each week, we invite you into the apartment along with our metaphorical and literal neighbors to share advice on how we get through this thing called life. We don't just share the sugar. We serve up the real tea. From navigating relationships to building a career, we want you to recognize and embrace the best version of you. We want you to know that your crazy is okay. And that you're definitely not alone. Our door is always open. And we want you to know, we've We've got got your back. back. I decided to go back to grad school at SCAD in Savannah, Georgia in 2010, post Los Angeles, post One Tree Hill. Now, we all know I am not a theater actress, but was somehow cast in this production of Almost Maine at the end of my final year. And I specifically remember the first day of rehearsals, this tiny redheaded freshman who could not have been older than 18, 19, but let's be honest, Kayla, you looked about like 14, um, 14. <laughs> walks into the room and there was something about her that was so captivating and interesting and I couldn't take my eyes off her. It was really creepy of me, but I could just see her thinking and observing and taking in every single piece and person in the room. There was so much going on beyond her eyes that I like almost wondered if she was about to cry. So we begin to read through the script. And as soon as she opens her mouth, I thought to myself, oh, I was right. This girl is a star. And I was right. We are so excited to have my friend, an exceptionally talented actress, producer, director, writer, singer, and activist, Kaylee Carter, here with us today. You may know her from Mark Rylance's West End production of Nice Fish, the Netflix series Godless, the movie Private Life, and most recently, the TV miniseries Miss America. At the young age of 27, Kaylee has made a name for herself by making incredibly smart decisions, and she is just getting started. Kaylee, welcome. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Are you blushing? You're right. I really did have to earmuff that part. It's so complimentary and so sweet. And I, I have a, a very different passenger side portrait of the very same thing because I was aware of who you are. One Tree Hill was my go-to <laughs> show after I would get home from from high school and I would sit and watch it and do my homework. And so I remember sitting in the hallway, probably feeling like a creep too, because I was like, it was like a big moment for me being like, how am I going to this school that this incredibly talented, like, working actor is at like what decisions have I made and they've all been the right ones (laughs) well I don't know about incredibly talented but I did work I did work that's the thing about it when the business shifted for me was the moment I realized I was like I don't have to be awesome I just gotta like stay in the game and just figure out how to get hired no you are talented though Kaylee she's she's talented and there's how do you fight her (laughs) I yeah Tell me more. There's a reason why people are not only attracted, attracted to Bevan, but there's another reason that's, you know, inner that's why people. Oh, yeah. It's a thing that's going on. She's always thinking and always calculating who's in the room that needs something. She always knows that. And that's what that's who people want to work with. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. (sighs) (laughs) Well, we are so happy to have you here, Kelly. And 
I know Bevan has been speaking for a while about inviting you on. And I was like, let's, let's do it. Now we're here. We can finally have we're you here. And also I know you're always working. So <laughs> the fact that you could take some time out for us is amazing. And we really want to know like what is happening in your world right now? Like what was the last project you wrapped? What your current situation is right now in terms of going back to work? Like, where are you? I am in Brooklyn, New York. The last project I did wrap was Mrs. America, which happened actually last summer in Toronto. We finished around November of last year, and then it was released in March. So that's the last thing that I was actively shooting. I had plans that were supposed to take place. And like so many of us, those plans did not happen. And COVID has been happening instead. So during that time, I've been trying to write working on several projects, an adaptation, film script, a script of my own, a short film. So I've been trying to keep my hands in a few different projects so that when this all is over, I'll have something to show forth. But it seems like things are slowly starting to get underway again. Auditions are happening, but in this Zoom language. So yeah, it's a very different procedure. And there's not a lot of energy coming at you from another person, at least not enough that can travel through the internet. So <laughs> it, it is a very different experience. It's, it's just not worth doing it yet unless you can be in a room with other people. That's why right. I love to do this job is connection. And so it's been pretty challenging to lose a lot of that. Yeah. It was interesting too. You just mentioned, you said, I want to make sure I walk away from this time with something to show for it. I feel like so many people struggle with that, right? We all think that we need to like write the great American novel during this time. It's not, it's not happening quickly. And I think I've been trying to give myself a lot of grace with that and say, you know, some people will walk out of this with fully finished screenplays. And I'm, I may not, I might, you know, still be on a half, you know, half of a draft or the very second draft, or I might be somewhere in process that is right for me. But I also realize the way that I work. And it's the benefit of having not stopped for the last few years is that I know how to apply the way that I work and to understand it. And I work better with other people. Like Mm. I am a problem solver first and foremost, I think as an actor, that's or a writer or anything else. Like I want to figure out how to solve the problem, even if the script or the story is a, is the problem that needs solving. And so that requires other voices and not just my own. So it's been strange because most of my best ideas come from being around other people and feeding off their energy or eavesdropping on the subway. (laughs) So to not have that has been a shift and I'm trying to be patient with myself. Yeah. I mean, especially watching you work as an actress, like I see you watching and observing and taking things in. I think some people work in a way that they just kind of draw on their own personal imagination. And to me, it seems like you're pulling from things that you've seen and watching and just drawing all that in. Is that true? Oh, yeah. I'm way more interested in other people than myself, I would say. Like, I I always have been. I would get out of bed as a kid and, like, hide behind the couch to listen to the shows my parents were watching because I knew I wasn't supposed to be Mm -hmm. watching and listening to those things. So I think the benefit of 
like being a small person and listening to what adults were saying, like that's still something that I feel I very much have is like a curiosity that can't be satiated. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where it comes from. It's a, it's, probably just a deeper interest in what other people are up to. I have the same interest on a film set. I'm way more interested in what other people are doing. That makes you a really generous job. actress too. <laughs> Very generous. Bevan knows this, but I don't really know the backstory of how you got started. I know we had a little preliminary call the other day and you went into it and we were like, stop, stop, just <laughs> save <laughs> hold, it. <laughs> hold for tomorrow. But yeah, how did this all begin for you? I did school theater like, you know, so many other people. And I really rejected the idea of being an actor at first because it didn't seem all that practical as a way to make a secure life for yourself. Sure. Jury's still out on that one. But uh, <laughs> it just I, I thought that being from Florida, which is where I'm from, that that's not something that was available to me. I didn't have any family in the industry. I didn't even know how you got a job as an actor. Like I, I didn't know that people, how people select the actors that I was watching. Auditioning and all of that. Yeah, I had no idea. So I was just doing theater and everyone else was doing it as an extracurricular activity, which is what it was. But I was very, I, I was very much a rule follower and a person who wanted to like put out great work. So I took it so seriously and was like really wanting to figure out the person that I was playing. And everybody else was probably so annoyed with me <laughs> because it was not, I was not just there to like screw around and have a good time. Which right. was totally valid for <laughs> right. all of those people. Of Nobody course. else wanted to sit in the like little library of plays during lunch and read every play. That was not what people were doing. And so it gave me an indication that maybe I cared about this in a way that could sustain me long term mm -hmm. on a happiness level. But I did, still didn't think it was a good job. It made so you happy, though, you mentioned. It made me happy, though. So I thought for a while that I was going to be a Unitarian Universalist minister. Tell me that more. Was, <laughs> I grew up a Unitarian Universalist, but very hippie liberal religion in a very small, very community driven church. So everybody came from all different walks of life. We had Jewish families there. We had Wiccan families. Like it was everybody came to worship in this place. And we didn't have a single minister. So every week someone would come to the church. One sermon I remember was like about medical marijuana and the like ethical question of it. I, and I, th this was, I was like what? 12 sitting in this room, listening to these conversations about like the Middle East. <laughs> like it was just, it was a very different environment because even the youth programming was led and driven by us. Like there were adults there to keep it kosher, but they looked to us for our opinions and our thoughts mm. and what we wanted to hear. This explains and a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But I got involved I got involved at like a level that was going to the general assembly like gathering. It was sort of like the national convention and politics where all of these other churches would come. So I got involved with the community on an even larger scale 
and saw an opportunity forward in that. Like you could go to theology school and you could learn about all of these different types of people. And then you could build yourself this community where you were doing pastoral care to people and you were also public speaking. It just felt like it was a a straightforward path to to both make a difference in people's lives and to feel a sense of community. And use your voice. Yeah, that's what I thought I was going to do. And, you know, you could write a new thing every week and people had to just listen to you for an hour. It sounded great. So um, <laughs> what? So, did your parents know you wanted to possibly do this or when did you? Yeah. Tell them? OK, so that they were on board for that, too. They're probably stoked. Yeah. my Well, my mom was the non-abstinence based sex educator of this church. Wow. Slow clap for mom. Bevan is clapping. My mom is very sex positive individual and we were all very involved in this community. So she was looking at schools. I mean, she just wanted me to do something that made me happy. And then I was involved with competitive theater in high school, which is an oxymoron. Um, (laughs) Wait, what? I'm sorry. What? it It was a competitive environment where all of the schools in Florida would compete at like a state competition every year. So you would bring monologues or a large group musical, or you'd bring all of these events. I didn't even know this existed. No, it's, it's the largest gathering. I believe this may have changed, but it used to be the largest gathering of, of theater related people in a single place in the world at one point in time was the Florida state thespian competition. That is my husband's own personal worst nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Um, Me, I'd be in heaven. Yeah, it was great for us. Like we were running around downtown Tampa, mostly unsupervised and like just singing show tunes. So uh, (laughs) the show tunes wasn't wasn't my personal area of expertise, but it was a really formative experience. And then one year I just decided I was going to enter every possible category you could enter. I was going to write a play. I was going to do monologues. I was going to do everything that I could possibly do. And I won a lot of awards that day. And I won like a scholarship award. And people at the competition were telling me that I should go to college for this. And I thought, okay, maybe. (laughs) And then one day my theater teacher asked me to go turn off the lights in the theater. And I went to go do that and it was empty. I was staying after school to help her or something. And I looked out into the house of the auditorium and I thought, oh no, I have to do this. Oh, I I just got chills. Give it a shot. I got to give it a try and I can always do something else. I can always make a different choice if it doesn't work out. And why SCAD? I did the whole cattle call thing. Juilliard, Carnegie Mellon, the whole nine yards. And it was a very different experience than what I expected. And I wasn't looking for the traditional college experience. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to find a school that I would have the football team and the, and the Greek life that that already didn't feel like a fit for me. So I thought these conservatories would be the place. And it was on the way back, I think from Elon, I actually, we stopped into Savannah for dinner. I had no interest in, in SCAD. I, it wasn't on my radar. And we drove through Savannah for dinner on the way home to Florida. And the city 
actually like just grabbed me mm. by the stomach and I was like, oh, what is this place? And yeah. we realized actually that the date would have been like five days before St. Patrick's Day. Oh, wow. Which is the is biggest we holiday. Driving through. Yeah. Cause there was like a man walking with a shirtless with like a green tutu on. Yeah. And we were like, where are we? It just <laughs> felt wild and magical. So I looked up SCAD that night and I came back for a tour. One of our professors, Sharon, took me upstairs to see a rehearsal of hair. And everybody was in the rehearsal room watching our friend Golly. She was singing a oh, solo. I just talked to her two days ago. Oh, she just got engaged. So excited for them. And she was she was singing so beautiful. Everybody was watching her. And it had the opposite energy of every conservatory where it was like, kill or be killed, 50% cuts after two years of school. Yep. Like, you may never get a chance to perform until you're a senior. Like, everybody here is wants the same thing and mirrors and fluorescent lighting. And it just <laughs> was like, ugh. And SCAD was not that. There was a sing not a single mirror on these walls. There was natural light streaming in through the windows. Everybody was watching her without a hint of jealousy yep. on their faces. They I was just, in that production. Yeah, you were there. You were there. Ryan was there. I mean, so many What were people. you in that production? Uh, basically, I was like somebody who stands in the back but actually can't sing harmonies so I would just mouth the words and <laughs> kind of dance around yeah I, I, I nailed it nailed it nailed it nailed yeah. it I mean everybody remembers my performance in here definitely in here <laughs> basically it was an excuse for me to use hair extensions that's what I did <laughs> I know that feeling so deeply at SCAD like that was a thing to me it was so magic as well because it was such a collaborative effort in a way that, yeah. but it didn't feel like, like you said, the conservatory or even pieces of LA that I felt, it just felt like really interesting, eclectic people that were all just throwing ideas out at each other and then like making them bigger and better and fun. And it, I mean, I, I think that speaks a lot to the professors there as well. And Oh yeah. It just felt, it felt like an ensemble immediately. And it was the thing that I don't think I high school actually had been competitive and there had been a lot of jealousy and weirdness. And I just thought that doesn't help me. Like that doesn't make me better ever. Whenever I'm doing my best, it's because other people are being supportive and I'm being supportive of them. It's never, I don't do my best work in that setting. Mm -hmm. And everyone was trying to say what they would teach me as an actor and about stripping off all of these things about yourself and, and coming to it. And so they could shape you or mold you into the type of actor. Like that was the way the language was mm -hmm. geared. And I thought I'm, I'm here because, because of those things, that's why you'd want me here. Yes. You'd think is not to strip all of those pieces away. It's that to bring seems... your individuality and your uniqueness and your perspective. Yes. So that was the big, that was the big ticket item. It was very much the right place at the right time for me to be. Very cool. I know I love Savannah so much. We're just <laughs> it's like, so it's, it's amazing. It's, I want to yeah. be there right now. And the open container laws were not a bad situation. Not a bad sitch. Seriously. I know. Yeah. That was like my first arrest. I mean, just kidding. <laughs> um, Sorry, Babs. Whoops. When did you know, Kaylee, that you know, obviously landing roles in school, but talk about out of school and 
Did you feel like you had that break moment? I'm sure this question has been asked to you before, and I'm sorry for being, you know, that it's annoying, but did you feel like you had that little bit of a moment when you said, wow, like this could really be something I could make money with? I didn't expect the types of things that I would be getting so soon out of school. I did. <laughs> Bevan did. Bevan she always did. said it. Yes. She, I'm not kidding she you. She whispered it in my ear and it became the truth. But I, I just wanted to do theater. I didn't even really care to do film. I didn't do any student film in college. I had no time to. I didn't even think at that point that that was what I would be doing. My very first professional job after moving to New York City was a off-Broadway show that Mark Rylance wrote out of prose poetry. And then he took the entire American cast to the West End of London. So that, as an American who is constantly watching people come you know, over here and, and do an incredible job over here, but I didn't really think that it worked that way. Like I could go over to yeah. London and, yeah. and do a play. That seemed very unlikely. So there was definitely many moments while I was there and looking at that same thing of like looking into the house every night before the show would start and looking at this beautiful old theater that we were about to fill and like watching the specks of dust be hit by the light. And I mean, like every single time I find myself in a place like that, I think that same thought. Anytime I'm on a film set and I'm sitting across from somebody uh, and they crack a joke, I have that thought of just like how, sure. how lucky and okay. And are you ever like, it, but... holy shit, like some of these women that you've been sitting across with, you know, that you've admired for years and years, like... I'm, you know, a part of this with them. I'm not so like some yeah. watching them from the street. I'm acting alongside these people. Oh yeah. Mrs. America was like that the entire time. There was absolutely, there was no way to watch Kate Blanchett work and not think, I can't even believe I get to watch her do this. I, I could watch her do this scene for the next eight hours and I will have to, but like what a privilege that she is just going to talk at me for eight hours. I'm yeah. in heaven. Like it definitely felt that way every day. And the other thing about it is I've entered the industry in a moment where I've worked with mostly women. I, I make a point to work with female directors as often as possible and female writers. But I have worked with more female directors than male. And that's spectacular. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's something many actors m my age can say, certainly. But I do feel like I'm entering at a time where the community of women is at the top of their game and they're demanding something that is so rad and should have been happening all along. So that part of it feels pretty monumental. I mean, it's interesting to me because I feel like so many people in your age range start to work quickly. It's like, you know, CW, ABC. Was that a conscious decision on your part to choose these incredibly smart and impactful roles and stories? Or did it just kind of, was it like attracts like? Like just, that's just what happened. Was it your team? It's got to be a bit of both. I say no a lot and I've kept myself very poor. <laughs> I kept myself from the security that I initially wanted and thought I could not get out of this job. I find that now I'm in a position where 
I could say yes and give myself that security. And I've found myself saying no over and over again, which I'm shocked because in school, it's just, well, you just want to work. Just you just want to work. You don't care what it is. You'll take anything. It's just take anything and then you can grow. But luckily I've been in such incredible rooms with such awesome people that those communities run together and they know each other mm-hmm. and they're speaking to each other. Like there are people who are passing you the baton invisibly that you don't see. And there are conversations happening between filmmakers all the time about your work ethic and the qualities that make you enjoyable to be with on a set. Mm. And I've been very lucky to have a lot of people highlight my name and say, yeah, she's great to work with. And I think that that's definitely part of it. But I also, I can't do it well. I can't do my job well when it's on those things that don't feel right. I'm bad at it. I become a worse actor because I don't like it anymore. Yeah. If I'm saying lines that I don't believe in, that I don't feel connected to, that if I'm playing a woman that I've never seen in the world, I just don't know how to find her. Yeah. And I should let someone else have that job because they're going to show up to work super grateful and really excited to be there and play that person. And I'm wasting someone's time if I'm taking that space. You're so deeply connected to your values and your truth in a way that like, it's easy to talk about for so many people, you know, myself included several times, but like, you live it, like you live it. And I think that's playing the long game. And I think that's going to be the thing that sets you apart greatly in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and even, you know, sets you apart now. But obviously, that's the long game for you is that you are going to continue to make some incredible work and also provide that work for other people. Hopefully that's the goal. I want to see the bounds of that become more expansive. I think women have also felt like they needed to say yes so often because there was some expiration date that was put on you. Mm -hmm. And luckily that is going away um, because we're insisting upon it. So I don't feel that same pressure to like, well, I have to... I have to make all of this money because once I turn 45, I'm done. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's it. Your life is over. You'll they never get hired again. You, yeah. They start playing you the wrap up yeah. music and you're like, whoa. Wait, I'm not I, done. I'm, <laughs> no. I just that's, got here. That's a really good point. And I, I noticed something that you had said earlier, like giving someone else that role, you know, in such a competitive environment, you know, in these audition rooms and everything else, like you remain so laser focused, you know, how do you not compare yourself to others? Like, how do you, I mean, I just think it's, you just sound so beyond your years to say, you know, maybe she deserves that more than me and will play that part better than me. Like, where did that come from? Can I have some? (laughs) (laughs) Same, same, same. I, it's not always, I mean, it's not always easy. There are, there are definitely moments of bitterness. And, and as soon as you're able to identify those, you're like, ah, that feels terrible for me. Like, a, if I unpack and live here, it's not going to be fun for anyone around me. It's very easy to do, especially when things like awards are involved there. I was involved in a conversation and I was watching the way people were behaving. And I knew that that wasn't the work, that the work is is what I wanted to return to. 
immediately and get out of this environment where we are all just like hovering around each other going like, yes, and you, and you, and you're here in pretty dress too. Hello. Hello. Mm. Like there is a very weird environment that I wanted out of immediately. None of the people behind the scenes who are helping to make the thing were like with us. And so I was like, there's too much ego in this room and I got to get out of here. But the bitterness can start to creep in, especially when you're seeing things that you're like, did we watch the same movie? That's what everybody in here is excited about. Like what? All right. (laughs) And it's like a collective dissonance of like, we're all going to say that we loved that movie. And there's a group of people who are like, okay, but I really didn't care for it. And I think there's all of this work that's not being looked at over here. Mm -hmm. And there's a key group of women being left out of this conversation. Maybe we should look over here. So all of that was making me a little bitter. And I tried to push it away as quickly as possible. But I was watching that documentary about Linda Ronstadt on HBO the other day, and she was talking about watching Emmylou Harris sing. Mm. And she said that for at least 30 seconds, she was paralyzed with jealousy. It felt like she couldn't move. And then she thought, okay, I have two choices here. I could either stay jealous and close myself off from working with her, or I could put myself in her orbit and get as close to her as possible. And I think that's what the thing is for me is I look at all of these other women who are in my same age bracket. I'm like, you are the people I want to work with. I know why they want to work with you. I know why they chose you because if I'm making my movie, I choose you too. Mm. Like I want to put myself in your orbit. And if I am jealous and comparative, I'm turning down the dimmer switch on what makes me great I can only hear your greatness coming at me. And then I have closed myself off and I can't accept it. Sure. Like we can't amplify each other if I stay in this place. Oh, so true. That's the choice. It's like, okay, well, you know, great. Yeah. I, I struggle with that too, just because I am a competitive person in nature. Right. And you see in this world of of morning show television, uh, you see all these different women and they lock in these different shows that I have not been able to lock in yet. But I've locked in other shows that they haven't been able to get. And I used to be like very competitive about it. Some of them are not the greatest. Let's just be honest. I'm going to just put that out there. They're not nice. They're just not nice. Some of them are really fucking cool and they're really nice. And we've all sort of bonded together and lift each other up, you know? So it's it when you do drop that and say, well, I do want to be aligned with these people and you never know. My thing was, you never know also when, let's say someone becomes sick, someone becomes pregnant. Oh, step right in, Kaylee. You know, like someone, anything like you just don't know. Because that's how I got private life, which was like a huge catalyst was somebody else leaving, leaving the opportunity open. It happens all the time. Right. And you just have to be like ready to graciously step in and then step right back out and say, here you go. Yeah. (laughs) This one's not for me. Right. And this one's not for me. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's still, a, it's still a struggle. Not gonna lie, it, you know. No, there hard. are heartbreaking parts of it too. There are you, like especially the more personal it's become. Mm. It used to just be that I would go in for the audition, 
it would be just great to meet the casting directors because I had just moved here and I would leave and I would not think about it again. And now when I'm coming to a script, I have read the entire thing. I have had personal conversations with the filmmaker. We're sniffing each other out and going on those like dates where we're trying to figure out if we want to work together. And when they do go a different direction, after you've gotten so personal, you're like, oh, (laughs) that meeting went so well. Yeah, I thought we had a great date. I thought we had a great great time. We didn't sleep Um, together, but we really bonded. Oh my God. I got all of the like cues that we're saying we're feeling each other, but maybe that person, I'm going to work with them again in five years and it it's going to be the right thing. And I have, I have no frame of reference for that now. How do you keep it from getting personal in your head? Like after that, after you hear we've gone with someone else, how do you pick yourself back up and say, this isn't about who I am as a human and an actress? I just ask them to send me more stuff and like send me things to read, send me things to go in, like just send more stuff my way so that I can move it right along. Like Mm. I want to be thinking about the next character or the next project and not stay in that place of the rejection. Like I have to move on to where the possibility is or I will get way too hard on myself. And it's never about the quality of the work. It never, ever is. That's the thing. You're such a, you're an incredibly hard worker and you take it so seriously and you just have like a work ethic like I've never seen. How do you not get stuck at like, you know, like a period like now where you can't just kind of move on? What do you do to hype yourself up to remind you that it's... I think writing is, is that for me? I have started to figure out that I'm never going to get the amount of autonomy that I want from being an actor because it's not built into the job. You're constantly asking for work. Your hands are extended out waiting for somebody to, to give you the opportunity. And I've had to look at the people around me and they're all incredibly talented people who many of them are also, you know, not working as often as I am. And they're extremely talented. So the things that they're writing are better than a lot of the things that I see being written and being sent to me. I have a lot of comparison to make in in the writing that is sent to me. And there are people that I you know work with on my own time, my friends that are just as talented as anybody in any of those writers' rooms. And it's not because they're not talented that they aren't working. They haven't walked through the door that is going to lead to another person who's going to lead to another person. Like that's all it is, is these connections that you just hope to foster. So I've been working on my own stuff on this side so that I can provide opportunity for myself and the people around me and that we can make things and not just always be waiting for the next opportunity. You know, I struggled a lot in my early 20s with like my physical appearance. I desperately wanted to change so much about myself physically. And I was I never felt thin enough or pretty enough or blonde enough or all the things. Do you ever struggle with that sort of thing? Because it doesn't seem like you do. (laughs) I definitely do. It's actually one of the, I think, most difficult things for me personally. I had an eating disorder for years and years. Theater was one of the things that I think really helped me express those things like because it was definitely related to control and not necessarily what I looked like but having control over something 
instead of being able to express all of these ways that I was feeling as an adolescent, which was so hormonal and out of control and constantly comparing myself or wondering what people thought of me, Mm. like all teenage girls (laughs) are, (laughs) are doing right now in this same moment. Like I'm sure there are so many teenage girls who are just having the same thoughts And I got to express all of the ways I was feeling on stage. I had to be as angry as I wanted, as loud as I wanted, as sad as I needed to be. Like I got to experience the full color spectrum of emotions there and couldn't really anywhere else. Like it was always too much. It was too loud or too ambitious or just too. I understand that too much. And I felt too big for the container that I was in. That eating disorder thinking will try to creep back in, especially in periods of time where it's so comparative. Like I I did find award season that way. I Mm. I was constantly having to mark those disordered thoughts and go like, okay, you're not going to make that choice. But if you're worried about it, Maybe it's time to like go to a workout class if that's something you're thinking, but just, just the one, just one, just the one, just the one today. That's it. And using that as like a control mechanism is always something I have to watch out for. And it's not something that I can do. So all I am able to do is focus on the work like that. I can control my body. I don't really have as much control over as I would like to think my body is an ecosystem that I am not always in control of that, and that has to be okay. It has to be okay. And that's, I think that's where so many people get stuck is they never have that realization that you do not have as much control over it as, as you would like as you want to. No, I'm borrowing this. Yes. Like this is, this is borrowed. I don't know when I have to give it back. I mean, I, my freshman year, you were, I think you left probably before this happened, but I had pacemaker surgery my freshman year of college. And I just wrote this article for Glamour about it. And it was the first time I'd really like sat down and unpacked what the experience of having a pacemaker at the age of 18 Mm. really shifted for me in that landscape of eating disorder. And it was that I never felt athletic growing up. I never felt capable in that way. I was capable in the classroom and on stage and socially, but I never felt capable when it came to my physical limitations until I got the pacemaker. And now I am athletic in a way that I would never have said I was before. Mm -hmm. I like, I never would have called myself that. Like I just wrote it off the list And because I've gained that ability and I don't take for granted that my body is running (laughs) with an assisted device at times, like that has definitely shifted both my gratitude and, and that desire for control because I just realized I don't, I don't have it. Was the pacemaker because is it a genetic reason or? Yeah, my mother and my brother both have them now. They were diagnosed after I was. It was diagnosed incorrectly as epilepsy for years and years. I was having seizures. My mom's always had seizures. We just thought that's what it was. But I was having chest pain as well. And I would go to the doctor and I would tell them. And I found a lot of people not taking me seriously. 
and saying that it was anxiety. Mm. It had to be otherwise related. And I was like, look, this is what it feels like. It feels like something is wrong. And it took a very long time to get someone to see me and hear me about that. And we had to be insistent. Like my heart had to stop for over a minute in order them for them to take me seriously. Did that happen your freshman year? Yeah. I went home for spring break and was like in the hospital and having seizures. And they took me down for some test and I kept telling them I didn't feel good and they wouldn't listen to me. And I just felt, I felt so unheard and I had a seizure. They were like, okay, we'll do this test. That test came back very, very positive. And they put in a pacemaker the week after. Oh my God. And you were seizing and everything and then nobody would still listen to you. They just kept saying, we don't, we don't know. We don't know. Which of course, like science is not exact and and maybe they didn't know, but they were saying the heart's not related to it until (laughs) it was clear that my heart was being affected by what was happening with my blood pressure. Like that was the thing. And now I'm super healthy. Yeah. And that's a gift because I was chronically ill and still am, but, but was actually like actively chronically ill my entire life. Wow. So (laughs) (laughs) you're literally stunning us. I mean, there's not many times when we're at a loss for words, but we're, yeah, I was like, what? Oh, we had no idea, Kaylee. Well, and largely I, I was so afraid when I wrote that article to, to say something about it because I I don't know if I thought I'd get blacklisted or people wouldn't want to work with me or they'd be like nervous. Yes, but I, it's crazy, but but like why? Yeah. Like that's, why should that be a hindrance? But you're still like, is this going to make me less? I didn't Uh know if it would be. And mostly people are just stunned silent. Like you guys are mostly like, what? (laughs) I think that it has given me an entirely different perspective on the amount of time that I have and what I'm here to do and being purpose driven instead of getting bogged down in the physical part of it, which is very, very easy to do. If you had one piece of advice for a young girl who's struggling with an eating disorder right now, what would you say to her? It turns you into a liar. And that is one of the really unfortunate parts of it is you will become so isolated because your entire day becomes about keeping that secret, putting that above all else. Your entire life becomes about it. Your entire identity becomes about that. And then you have a harder time crawling back out because people don't trust you Mm. and you haven't built that currency of trust with them. And it's very hard to get that back. It's very, very tough to get people to trust you and then treat you normally again, which is all I wanted to. But I had very rightfully so, like given my parents a million and two heart attacks and all of my friends were nervous around me. And every room I walked in, I feel like the eating disorder walked in instead of me. I wasn't there. It was there. I I mean, the conversations I missed, the stuff that I cared about changed. I didn't fucking care about anything. Theater is what changed that because suddenly I was able to care about something more than more than this disorder. Mm-hmm. And I'm so much happier now. Fuller life. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so much less hungry. I mean, <laughs> like that truly. I and I love food. It, the only thing it did <laughs> is it made me a very good cook I, because I would always cook for other people. Mm. Because if everybody is focused on how great your cooking is, they're not paying attention to whether you're eating the thing too. And I'm a great cook now, which is like the biggest irony of all ironies is that that's what it led me to, which was a gift, but I probably didn't have to hurt myself to get there. Right. Yeah. I could have just watched the food channel (laughs) and become a good cook. (laughs) Right. Right. Thank you for being, you know, so honest and open with us about that. We didn't even talk about that the other day. So we really, you know. We do appreciate that, Candid. I mean, it's really also do. a testament to what you two have created on this show is such a an environment that that feels safe to do so. That's a thing. That's the purpose. And maybe someone sees you and, and after knowing what you went through and maybe has an issue or just talking to others, like just to get inspired to say, maybe I can turn what's going on with me into more of a passion, you know, or something else yeah. that they want to turn to, whether that is talking to somebody else or maybe something that they've have wanted to do for such a long time, but have well, and that's the time. thing is anyone who is struggling with that is highly capable. That's the thing. Yeah. And you're spending all of that energy that could be going to something else yeah. to maintain this one thing. I've never met a person who struggles with that. That isn't one of the most capable people I know Same. because a, they have such an immense amount of willpower and fortitude and to channel that to, into something that builds your body up right. and builds your like soul up is so important. That's just, it's just the funnel that it goes through. Mm, right. When you were talking about the pacemaker and you said you were worried about telling that story and walking into the room and maybe that being what people see you as before, was it ever difficult for you? Cause you're really vocal on Instagram and in interviews about things that need to shift politically and your feelings on things. Did you ever find it difficult to make that choice to be politically vocal surrounding your values, knowing that people's directors, producers then associate you, the actress Kaylee, with that instead of just Kaylee the human? I struggle with the social media piece of it constantly because it feels so treacherous. Like sometimes there isn't a right way to involve yourself in the conversation. Sometimes the conversation needs to be had by people who are not me and do not look like me. And that's something I'm acutely aware of. But I find I have a harder time sharing my personal life and like my interior world and the people that I love that part. I want to keep safe and held in my own. Yeah. But politically it's definitely probably that Unitarian Universalist upbringing. It's, it's definitely how politically active I was asked to be at a young age and to come up with the ideas that I had. I mean, we drafted a Senate bill when I was in high school, myself and a group of other UU teens, we helped draft a Senate bill that would have changed the fact that people were getting racially profiled and asked to see their IDs just stopped randomly to be a part of something like that communally at like age 16 and seeing the difference that you can make when you are vocal about something that doesn't feel right has been the only way to go. What I lead with is definitely being a woman. I'm raised by feminists. I'm, you know, raised by somebody who told me the truth 
and didn't hide things from me. That's something that's really important to me. I, I cannot imagine how much harder my life would have been if I came to the truth as late as some people do, because I knew about my body. I knew what sex was. I knew that consent and communication and respect were the things that drive those forward. And that's what I was looking for in partners. That's what I was looking for in friend groups is other people who know that truth and know themselves. Mm. That's what I have always been looking for. And I don't think I've ever been afraid to be honest politically. It's, we're also at a time when I think you're almost judged if you don't say loudly and with your chest exactly how you feel about something. That's what has to happen for me to protect my rights and the rights of people that I love and care about. In this industry, the work has gotten better because more people are at the table. Ooh, amen, I, sister. I watched some things that I grew up with that I pretended to like because it was all that was out there in a comedy setting. Like the only people that were writing comedies were dudes writing about like buddies getting drunk and <laughs> getting in shenanigans. And so that was the option. Like it was either like it or be out of the conversation every day and be out of the, I like to make inside jokes. So I didn't want to miss what was happening. <laughs> I got to be in I this. Pret- yeah. But I pretended to like things that I did not like. I pretended to enjoy watching people play video games. Ugh. I pretended to, I tried so hard as a teenager and then was like, what? I don't even, these guys are boring. Boring. They're <laughs> Like, why do I want to be part of this club? I don't even like the things that they're doing. Right. But I was only invited to the party if I thought those things were cool. If I said that they were funny. If I allowed myself as a woman to be talked down to or made fun of or sexualized, that that's how I got invited to the party. Yep. And now I just don't want to go to your party. Like, I don't want to go to it. I would rather stay home. (laughs) I'm having my own party over here. And the people who are invited are the people I want to be around. They're smart and they're cool. And they're telling stories that people haven't told before. So that's the part of it that feels politically active, too, is like just being myself as a woman who doesn't give a shit and is going to say my opinion loudly. That makes me, if that makes me political, then. Then put it, put it on my t-shirt. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've spent enough time being diminished because I'm ambitious and that's never a dirty word. I refuse for that to be a dirty word for me. Vocal and ambitious is what gets shit done. Well, you are going to give so many young people permission to use their voice, to be who they are, to find their community of people. We are just blown away by you and are so grateful for you spending this time with us and cannot wait to share your voice and your ambition and all the things about you that make you you with the rest of the world. You're just a dream. Thank you so much, Kaylee. 
Thank you, Bevan. I was so happy to do this with you guys. We'll do it again. Um, I'm the new yeah. uh, president of the <laughs> Kaylee Carter fan club. <laughs> I am just sitting here and whoever wants to send me any photos to get directly to Kaylee, I am ready because I am fan art for it. Yep. I am like, you have got a number one fan for life here, Kaylee. I'm serious. Uh, good. We'll make stickers. We'll make pins. Yes. I Love don't it. have one yet. I need a P.O. box. <laughs> we'll just send it to Brittany's. It's fine. Yeah. She's got it. <laughs> got the LLC. Don't worry about it. <laughs>